From Relay FM, this is Connected, episode 143. Today's show is brought to you by Encapsula and Blue Apron. My name is Mike Hurley. I am joined by Stephen Hackett. Hello, Stephen Hackett. Hello, Michael Hurley. And Federico Vatici. Ciao, Federico. Ciao, Mike, and hello, people of the world. Oh, that's a very nice, very nice greeting today. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I want to say hi to the people. I'm, I'm in a good mood today, Mike. You're a man of the people, Federico. Mm, I hope so. Stephen? Yes. Follow us up. I've been waiting all week. So you may have seen this. We put it up on the Relay blog um, late last week, but we are going to be at the App Camp for Girls fundraiser at WWDC. Uh, there's the, it'll be the first link in the show notes. This is a concert and a fundraiser for them. Um, James Dempsey and the Breakpoints will be playing a show. Uh, it's at this great big venue. And there's going to be a section of the venue for a Relay FM meetup. So we're having, we're still having our own meetup Monday night. If you have a ticket to that, we will be there. Uh, but we're going to also be doing this on Wednesday evening um, just because we want to see everybody. And um, we love Abcamp for Girls, and this is a great chance to support them. So you have to have a ticket to it. There's a link in that blog post uh, to buy a ticket to the show. Uh, we will be there about 7 p.m. Uh, to hang out, and there'll be signs and stuff where to go. We'll be there. And if you're if you're in town for WBC, even if you don't want to meet us, you don't care about us, you should go buy a ticket for this and go because Outcame for Girls is wonderful and a really, I think, important part of our community that you should support. So go check it out. Like I said, it's the first link in the show notes, and uh, hopefully we will see you there. Yeah, please come. It's it, it's going to be awesome. We're going to have a lot of fun. And as Stephen said, and I cannot I cannot like state this enough, App Camp for Girls is awesome, um, and mm-hmm. they deserve your support. And this exact all of the proceeds of this meetup will be supporting them. So please, please, please go and get a ticket, and you'll see us there, which might be nice for you. Yeah. So we're going to get into a lot more hardware stuff um, after the break, but. Uh, I did want to talk kind of separately about the Siri speaker and iPad coming to WWDC, new notebooks potentially. And the reason I'm putting this in follow-up is because it happened in the past. And we had some questions on Twitter about, well, when is the last time Apple actually did hardware at WWDC? Um, If you go back, you know, six, seven, eight years ago, the iPhone 3G, 3GS, and 4 were at WWDC. Uh, but the last real one, I think, is like 2012 when the Retina MacBook Pro was announced and then shipped uh, basically in that summer time frame. You know, it was expensive. It was only the 15 inches out of the top of the line. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty good keynote if you haven't seen it. There's like a – there's a um, Phil Schiller does a good job. He like puts his finger up to it, show how thin it is. People freak out. Uh, a year later, in 2013, we had the Mac Pro teaser. Of course, the very famous Can't Innovate Anymore, my fill-in-the-blank a uh, line from Schiller that <laughs> maybe they've come to regret since then. Uh, but that was 2013, and like some the notebooks got updated, and there were some airport products. But really, since 2012, 2013, there hasn't been hardware at WWDC, and it's easy to understand why, right? It's the software show they have to get through, you know, at least macOS and iOS, and then watchOS and tvOS if there's stuff there. It's a very busy keynote, and they try to keep it to two hours. But um, there is some precedent for hardware at WBDC, and so it's not completely crazy to think that there may be something coming out. But like I said, we will get to that uh, here in a, in a couple minutes. But I kind of wanted to set this part of that conversation aside a little bit. Speaking of software, though, uh, our last episode, which came out the end of last week, so we just spoke, 
uh, was about Federico's incredible iOS 11 for mm-hmm. iPad video and article. And so Federico, I wanted to see how it was going, how it had been, how the response has been, and kind of how your feelings are. You know, a couple of days later, it went really well, and I'm really happy that people appreciated the video and and the vision and. And it was kind of amusing uh, seeing the tweet from people who, uh, after watching the video and reading the story, they tried to do something on their iPads and it didn't work, like in the concept, and because sort of the brains were broken. So that was very amusing. And I'm really happy that um, a lot of people either uh, sent a tweet or an email and said, this makes sense because it's not the usual concept that you put together just to show off some graphical skills. And that that is the goal uh you know even last year uh with sam we tried to to create a concept that is reasonable and that tries to think about not just how how awesome something would be but also about the limitations so it's both about creating and also about setting boundaries for ourselves and mm-hmm. the fact that people notice that makes me really happy there's been some and i think it comes with the territory some negative feedback and you know especially on YouTube because the video was uh, on the trending page. So you you open yourself up to these comments mm-hmm. from these users, uh, which, I, of course, I cannot repeat them on the show, but they're, you know, they, they don't... Um, it's not that I don't care. I honestly, I think they're kind of funny uh, because, <laughs> because obviously these people are there not to start a discussion which is what I wanted to do with the with the concept, but just to troll you or to you know just to be the worst of the internet. So that's fine, and it's kind of funny. Uh, there was some other type of feedback that I feel like I want to respond. Um, some folks have said that the Finder doesn't make any sense, uh, and that the iPad doesn't need a Finder, and that file management is a thing of the past, uh, which of course I deeply disagree with, and. I feel like I try to convey this in the story, which is I don't want Apple to make the iPad like the Mac. And if your argument is that if the iPad gets a Finder or if it, uh, if the iPad uh, gets better file management features, then just use a Mac, that argument doesn't make any sense uh, because you could say, well, just use a Windows PC. You know, uh, I think they're not mutually exclusive. The iPad getting better file management features and being able to coexist with the Mac. Um, and also because as I try to express in the story, uh, the iPad already has file management features that are just scattered throughout the OS. Um, so, you know, uh, I would like to ask, you know, all these people that say the Finder doesn't make any sense if they think iCloud Drive makes sense or if document pickers and providers make sense, if you know, all these other file-based features that Apple already has, if they make any sense. Uh, and all I'm arguing for is to unify them and to actually make them easier because I think that the system we have now is actually too difficult to manage. So in, if anything, I'm arguing for simplification. And that was the main point. Um, there's another comment that I got a lot, which is that the video was useless because we uh, we it came out too late and we didn't uh, give Apple the time to copy, um, which is both amusing and interesting from from sort of what people think of us, uh, in the mm-hmm. sense that um, I believe that some folks think that it's our goal to get hired by Apple or 
to give Apple ideas and that the concept should come out in December. And those are three separate things. Like, of course, we, I personally, I, I mean, I cannot speak for Sam, uh, but personally, I don't want to be hired by Apple. I just want to start a discussion about the iPad and about iOS. Um, and and I think that Apple had this, at least some of these discussions a long time ago. I don't think I'm smarter than the people who work at Apple, the engineers and the designers that actually discuss these features in practice and in context. They they actually make them. I don't think I'm smarter than those folks that have these discussions months ago, years ago, maybe even. And also, from my perspective as a user, it's impossible to create a concept and to come up with wish, uh, wishes and things I would like to see in October or in November, because I've only been using the stable version of iOS for two months. Um, these are things that, you know, you need to take, you need to, to work with them for a long time to understand the limitations. And I, I never liked those concepts that, you know, they come out two weeks after a new version of iOS has shipped because you don't have the context and you don't have the knowledge and you don't have the experience accumulated with months of usage. And so the reason why our concepts, uh, they tend to come out in April or May is because I like to take my time. It's not my goal to be hired by Apple. It's not my priority to give Apple ideas. And I just want to start a discussion and to give people ideas or, you know, to to show the potential of something, regardless of what Apple thinks, what Apple is doing, and if Apple is working on those features or not. And finally, there are some people who really hated the song. Um, and I get that this is, a, this is like a thing on YouTube, that some people really don't like some types of background music. Um, there was a comment that said that the music looked like it was from 50, 50 Shades of Grey, mm. which I thought was very funny, uh, because I think if, if the video can elicit the same response as the book and the movie, well, that's great, you know? <laughs> Uh, so I thought that was please, funny. Please, this is good for you, you know? Yeah. Whatever you need. Yeah. Some people just really like the iPad. Mm, like a, a lot. lot. Yeah. An uncomfortable amount. So overall, I'm really happy um, because we got, you know, a lot of folks have been super kind, sharing the video and the links. and But just really, the main point is, if people, if the majority of people uh, are, are saying this concept makes sense because I could see the iPad having these features and I understand the, the, the quote-unquote design process that went into this and the limitations and the potential problems that mission accomplished. So I'm yeah. uh, satisfied. Good. No, yeah, it's really great. And, and you know, this is this is what's gonna happen when you when you open the the floodgates to the wider internet, I think. Yeah. Right? Like uh people that are, are maybe less in tune with the type of thing that you're trying to get across, right? People that are not familiar with Mac stories, which is what happens when you get hundreds of thousands of views on YouTube, right? Like lo lots of those people are never going to have heard of you before. And so yeah, they, they, they don't know your intention, right? And and I think that's what you've you've come across there. But I guess the key is like for the audience that you are targeting, did they understand it? And I think I think they did, right? I think that's that's overwhelming. Yeah, I think so. And really if the the from um 
from the people who sort of understood the concept, if the main problem, if the main cause of discussion is file management and the finder, I think that's a success overall. Yeah. Uh, because we we may disagree on the uh, particular need for a finder, but at least we're both on the same page that uh, you know iOS for iPad could be so much more. Then we can uh, you know we can argue on specific features, but overall, I think most people that understood the concept were on board with the idea that the iPad could be more and could be different from the iPhone. So, yeah. Stephen, you've been busy as well. So in the last uh, week or so, you've, uh, you've, you've, you've created a new membership-focused newsletter for Firetop Pixels. And I was kind of wondering, what was your motivation to go ahead and do this? So it is the Firetop Pixels membership newsletter. You can pay, of course, you can pay $5.12 a month or $51.20 <laughs> a year. Like, of course, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and this is this is like a new thing that you're working on, I guess, in, you know, like like how there is uh, Cloud Mac Stories and how there is Jason's uh, membership at Six Colors. What made you want to go ahead and do this? Yeah, well, I should say that Federico actually came up with the pricing. Uh, that was all his idea <laughs> and not mine. Uh, so thank you to both of you. You've been very influential and helpful in this process. Um, I don't think I did anything, but I appreciate it. It was that. mostly Federico. Yeah, it was mostly Federico, uh, I think. <laughs> You're welcome. But, uh, yeah, so I mean, you know, 512 Pixels is going to turn nine years old this fall. And in kind of reflecting on that and thinking about the past of the website and the future. I want to continue to do more with it. Mm -hmm. You know, it has spun off several other projects. I'm doing a lot of series uh, on the site. I'd have the YouTube channel now. So Federico, I feel your pain about like random YouTube commenters. It's the worst. But um, the kind of the heart of heart of it is that to, to, take 512 pixels to the next level to continue doing it for the next decade at the level I want to do it. That's just going to require direct support uh, that it, is a, a big investment of time and energy and one that I'm happy to make. And like I said in the, in the blog post announcing, like even though it's almost a decade old, it still feels like fresh and new to me. And I think it's because it is more than just a technology blog. It has become sort of like like a trail of breadcrumbs in the last like 10 years of my life. And I, I can't ever imagine not doing the site, um, but it doesn't do much in the way of, of revenue and, and income. And I need that to change. So... Um, you know, the, the feedback's been really good so far. Uh, a lot of people jumped on it immediately. Something like 60% of members are annual, like right off the bat, like people want to support it, which is really great. People just want that sweet discount, man. That's what it's all about. It is. There is a discount if you sign up, uh, uh, for the annual membership, but I, I just, it felt like it was time to, to do more with it. And so, like you said, I'm doing the newsletter. Um, it'll be monthly. Uh, I don't have the, um, I don't know what sort of caffeine Federico is ingesting to get one out the door every week. <laughs> but, uh, uh, and it's just me. I don't have a team. So I felt like I could do once a month. I feel like I can do a really good job with that. The first one goes out Thursday. Uh, it includes an Apple history column I'm doing called time machine. Uh, it has this month. I have a guest, uh, post by Casey list that the two of you are not going to like, but that's kind of, I'm not just straight. I'm not reading it. Like, oh, yeah, no. I'm just not going to read You're it. You're going to be upset. Like, I've already it. been told by multiple people that I'm not going to enjoy this. So I can, I assume what it's already about and I don't want it. Oh no. Oh, yeah. No. Uh, but it's fine. You know, it's, it's, uh, his opinion and, and, um, it's a really great column. I'm excited to share that on Thursday. I'm just going to say that your customer sat levels for your membership will be below the charts from, from me and Federico mm. for your first, uh, first issue. So, 
Yeah. So, uh, so there's that. Uh, there's a review of a weather app that I'm using that I really like, and weather apps are really fascinating. So kind of talking about that whole little corner of the app store. Um, so yeah, so once a month you'll get a newsletter and you'll get advanced screenings of future YouTube videos, which I know I'm overdue on. I haven't done one because I've been working on this. Uh, I will rectify that as soon as WBC is over. I already have one ready to go. Uh, I just need to shoot it. So, so yeah, so that's the membership. And um, I'm excited to be able to do more. I'm excited to have... Um, uh, a direct relationship with with a subset of readers and i think it's going to be a lot of fun for everybody yeah people should go check it out where can they go to to sign up yeah so 512pixels.net slash membership and uh all the benefits and everything are on that page and um get in touch if you have any questions Today's show is brought to you in part by our friends over at Encapsula, the multi-function content delivery network that boosts the performance of your website, protects it from denial of service attacks, and secures it from bad guys, whilst ensuring high availability. Over 100,000 organizations trust Encapsula every single day, from huge Fortune 500 companies all the way down to one-person websites. It doesn't matter who you are or what you do, Encapsula can help protect you. They have all the resources that you're ever going to need at your disposal to make sure that your website loads quickly, even if something bad is happening. They have a 24-7 operations team, so you have additional help there if you need to take advantage of it. And you also get personal account management backed up by the best service level agreement in the business they are top notch over at encapsula you're going to be well protected your site is going to be lightning fast and you're going to have all the support you could ever wish for as a listener of this show you can get one whole month of service for free so you can go ahead and try it out all you need to do is go to encapsula.com connected that's i-n-c-a-p-s-u-l-a.com connected this is where you can find out more about encapsula service and claim your free month thank you so much to encapsula for their support of this show and Relay FM. Apple has introduced a new ad campaign, and I feel weird covering ad campaigns as a topic, but this one is is really interesting. Uh, you can find it online at apple.com slash switch. On Apple's YouTube channel, there's a new playlist. And it is uh, a campaign really built around the idea of switching from Android uh, to an iPhone. And Mac users or Apple users of a certain, of a certain vintage will remember that the Switch campaign yeah, this actually been reused. So that was the the campaign, uh, I guess, in like the early 2000s, getting people to switch from Windows to the Mac. And they had all those talking heads, including uh, with a girl named Ellen. Everyone's favorite. Who seemed to be super baked. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's actually true or not, but uh, they're reusing it. So there's a link in the show notes. Um, Ed Cormany, a friend of mine, uh, had, a, had a joke about that and, and a link to a web uh, internet archive Wayback Machine URL to the original apple.com slash switch. Um, but the new one is really nice. So it's a very nice, like, colorful, modern web page, has the videos in there, and kind of has, you know, seven or eight different sort of uh, angles into the idea of switching from Android to the iPhone. Yeah, this sort of stuff's interesting to me because it kind of makes me remember that, like, oh, yeah, there are way more Android devices. What did Google say? Something like, I are there 2 billion active Android devices mm-hmm. right now? And it's like, yep, that's a lot of Android devices. And it's funny that Apple is doing a campaign like this. And it's quite aggressive, you know, like with the website and with the, the videos. And I wonder, I wonder... I wonder the motivation that goes into wanting to create something like this. Because it... 
I think everybody knows about the iPhone. Everyone knows how great the iPhone is. Everyone knows that, like, what is the iPhone still the like the highest selling phone, right? Single unit phone, like it sells more right. than Samsung still. So, but right. it's funny to be like, oh, but they they actually do consider themselves to still be in a position where they don't have as much of the market as they would want, right? Because it's yeah, so this isn't really iPhone that we're talking about here. It's iOS, I guess. Yeah, so the iPhone, Apple has the most profit out of the smartphone industry, and right. that's by like some huge margin. But the the iPhone is the single best selling handset. So there are a bunch more Android phones, but they're splintered across hundreds of you know, if not more devices. Uh, and I agree with you that like the positioning of this is a, is a little odd because I think we all think of the iPhone as being the dominant player because according to some metrics, it is, but. And some other metrics, it's not. And I think in mind share, at least like, I mean, obviously in our circles, but even like out in the world, like in the States, at least I see iPhones everywhere. It's kind of the default phone, but this Apple's not playing the underdog here. Like if you, if you go back and look at the, those way back pages, there is a little bit of an underdog tone to it, right? That, Hey, you know, windows is this big popular thing, but the Mac's better and kind of introducing you to the Mac for the first time because people just hadn't seen one before or didn't Mm -hmm. know anything about it but that's not the tone on this page this page it kind of makes some assumptions that you know what a smartphone is and that you know what an iphone is Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, it's just kind of showing the things that really highlight the differences between android uh, and ios not that hey this is how you know you tap it with your thumb like that's great um but more of you know these are some very specific things that are different and I, for one, I think I think it works. I think it's um, pretty well done. I think it's interesting the the features that they've decided to showcase with the big uh, colored sections. So we get the camera, uh, for example. Of course, it's one of the very first uh, sections on the web page, um, and of course, it's a it's an iPhone Seven Plus, not not an iPhone Seven. There's like uh, uh, the like a half of an iPhone in this section, and it shows the dual lens of the Seven Plus. Then the only they mention uh, Apple Pay and to my surprise the Tips application in another section. Um, yeah, and then they focus on privacy, security, and messages. So they mm-hmm. don't say iMessage; they say the Messages app, which I thought was interesting uh, because they don't talk about the protocol; they talk about the app on your phone, and they say the Messages app. It lets you hail rides, it lets you book restaurants and, you know, shoot lasers. And, of course, they're talking about the effects and iMessage apps. And then they also say, and, of course, you can use other messaging messaging apps like WeChat, WhatsApp, or Facebook Messenger. Uh, so I think it was, it was interesting that Apple doesn't say, well, we have iMessage on iOS. So it's messages. Um, and besides the Tips app, um, Apple also wanted to kind of focus on how easy it is to use an iPhone and to get help if you don't know how to use an iPhone or if you have any problems. And so they bring up the official Apple support uh, app um, that is now on iOS. And they even have the a mention of the Twitter handle. They literally say there is also an Apple support app and a dedicated Twitter, Twitter handle at Apple support. So it's like they're actually pointing people to Twitter. Yeah, they also do look put privacy up there, right? Like protecting personal information and making sure there's no viruses and stuff like that. Like th- yeah. th- that's also a big part of it. And they 
in the the ad campaigns, like five or six little fifteen second ads that are probably going to show up as YouTube pre rolls. One of those is focused on privacy, and it's my favorite one of them. It's it's very funny. Mm-hmm. Like the ads are like your your phone on the left, iPhone on the right, and it's like gray contrast of color, right? It's like a split down the middle, and it's like something sucks on the left hand side, and then you get moved over to the iPhone side, and it's great. Right, like that's kind of the the way to do it. It's a simple campaign, but I think it works. But my favorite one is the privacy one, where like the guy's snooping over the shoulder of the other guy, and he just walks over there, <laughs> just walks over to the other side, and the the other guy can't follow him. I think it's kind of funny. Yeah, it's good. Um, I I did want to kind of back up for a second something Federico said about the the camera item. You know, this comes on the heels of. I mean, just like I think it was like just last week, Apple put up one of these pages about photography on the iPhone, and their YouTube channel has been flooded with these almost tutorial videos on like how to take a picture with the camera app, how to do a selfie, how to do the depth effect. It's a very educational series. It's reminiscent of the original iPhone ads. Do y'all remember those? That basically, it'd like, just be a phone on a white screen, and it'd show you how maps worked, and it'd be yeah. a television ad, mm-hmm. thirty yeah. seconds of Google Maps. Um, that camera thing is a little bit like that, I think. But Apple's really leaning into this more and more in a world where uh, you know the Samsung phones and the Google Pixel have cameras that you know there, there are differences, but are more or less as good as the iPhone, right? They're in the same arena, and Apple's really leaning into all the stuff they can do with theirs, and they're doing it with the Plus, which we know coming off their earnings. The iPhone sales have been trending towards the Plus. The world is realizing that Mike was right, I guess. And they're selling more Pluses in the mix than they ever have. And I would imagine that that has a ton to do with the camera. And so that's a that's a, been a real thing for Apple uh, to lean on, even though the competition is getting better, to say, hey, this is something that you know we really think is an important part of our phone and that we're really proud of. And I find that interesting. They keep coming back to it. Again, it continues to be the plus phone. You know, whatever this new phone is in the fall, this unicorn phone is going to be dual lens again. This is an important part of Apple's strategy with the iPhone to, to, to kill off the end of the point and shoot era and to have people, especially with the plus, um, have, be equipped to take really good photos. And I mean, it is the after the header saying, will it be easy to switch to the iPhone, which in which they talk about the move to iOS app on the Google Play Store. The next stripe down is the camera. Like it is a super important uh, thing for them. Uh, but what I found sort of equally interesting, I want to see what the two of you think about this, is that the fitness stuff is not on here. So nothing about there's nothing about the Apple Watch on this page, which I, which I get. But there's nothing about like the uh, the health app or the step counting the phone can do, and that's been a part of this sort of thing in the past, yeah. right? They had those big the big health push. Um, do you think it just didn't make the cut because there's not enough room, or like I just found it interesting that it was gone? It I wasn't think here. That the Apple Watch's unique selling point is health and fitness. It's like even though the iPhone can track some of this stuff, if you say the iPhone can do it all, then it's going to detract from the Apple Watch, right? Like yeah. it makes sense. There's like you know, there's like if you imagine the marketing funnel, like the the journey, the customer journey uh, after you bought an iPhone you start getting a bunch of advertisement and messages about buying an Apple Watch and why you should do that, right? Like, it doesn't make any sense to put that Apple Watch on this page right now because it's like, oh, you like all this health and fitness stuff. We also do this other thing. It's like another $300. Like, do you want to do you want to get into this whole ecosystem? I think that it is overall a net negative for this campaign, 
right? To be like, buy this new phone, then buy this other thing. Like, I think it makes sense to try and hit people with that afterwards, which I reckon that they probably will do. So they keep kind of the health and fitness stuff for an Apple Watch campaign because that's that's what sells that device. So you, you want to kind of focus on on that, right? Like that, that it's on this device other than it's in the one you already own. Yeah. No, it's good. It's good. You know, the, the environment makes it on here. I guess that's true for all their devices, but um, that's, that's a good point that it's sort of a, a step removed maybe. Huh. See what I did there? Um, a step removed from the sort of switch to iPhone mentality, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, no, no, I think it's I think it's a compelling campaign. Yeah, it definitely is. Definitely is. Do we were talking about um, the iPhone and kind of the dual camera stuff. There's been a bunch of part leaks over the last couple of days about the iPhone and the iPad. And, you know, you take this stuff with a grain of salt. Um, a lot of it has come from this Twitter account that I've never heard of before. Um, it is a person by the name of Benjamin Geskin. I'm going to put... Oh, yeah, up- it's it's been... Uh, around okay. lately. Okay. Yeah. I mean, but you know, like, I don't know. Th- th- there are names that you've seen before, like Sonny Dixon or Evleeks or whatever. Like, right? they're people yeah. that jump into yeah. my mind as like who have provided information before that's kind of come out to be true. Um, mm. They posted a bunch of, I guess these are like molds of the iPhone, right? Like these, like these big metallic, like solid aluminium things that show all the new, like the next iPhone range. So the iPhone 8, presumably, 7S and 7S Plus. So looking at these, uh, and this person's also provided some additional information, right? They're saying that this form, what they're showing is 100% confirmed. That's what's going to be made. Um, and that the Touch ID is not on the back. It's And they expect it's either going to be obviously in the display, as people have pontificated, or in the power button right which locks the phone and turns the phone on and off that 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 button right there and if you look at the castings the molds whatever you call it this 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 aluminium thing one of the pictures uh, that's included in the tweet in the show notes shows all three phones from the side and the sleep wake button on the side is like twice the size as normal Right is is mm. the assumption here? Unless it's backwards and that's actually the volume, right? But let's assume that it's not, right? Let's assume that that is the the sleep wake button, right? That would kind of make sense, right? Why would you make that button bigger unless there was something else going on there? I don't know. Maybe just to make it easier to reach it and to press it. I don't know. I I think it makes sense. I'm just struggling to. And now I could be wrong, but the surface area of the button, it seems so narrow to me. And I just wonder if the Touch ID sensor can read enough data for a fingerprint from that kind of button shape. How much data is uh, needed? I mean, that's what we don't know, right? Like, I don't that's know That's what, yeah. Right? But I if don't it, know either. If it's reading like a vertical slice of it, maybe that's just as good, right? Like, it's always unique, I guess, right? Like, it depends how good they've gotten at detecting this stuff accurately, right? That's what, mm. I guess, this depends. Um, it's just for me, like, I mean, I've said this, we were talking about this weeks ago, we have this whole, like, Touch ID predictions thing sitting in our document that we'll come back to in September. I really just do not expect, like, I've, I I have absolutely no expectation that the Touch ID will be embedded in the display in this phone. It just feels like too big a leap for me. So if it's going to be somewhere... 
if it's not going to be on the back, my 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 bet would move to the fact that they put it in the in the sleep wake button. So you don't think it's going to be under the display? Not in this one. I think that they'll find mm. a way to do it. I'm just it it really just feels like such a huge leap. Like that I'm just skeptical of it. You know, it it just mm. feels like that is a huge leap in technology that they're taking there and potentially a really risky one, right? Because there's already so much stuff happening in this phone. And one that Samsung couldn't make work. And Samsung, you can make fun of them, but I mean, maybe you should for the battery thing, but they know what they're doing engineering wise. Like they mm-hmm. couldn't make it work six months ago. And yeah, you know, I don't know if it's in the button or not. Like I, I, I would prefer it to be on the screen. I have no problem with it on the back. Like I've used phones with that. Not a problem for me. But uh, I think ideally it'd be kind of where it is now, just under the glass. But I, I tend to agree with you that it's got to be really bulletproof for them to do that in, in a phone that's going to be so high profile and potentially so expensive. Like it should really work well. But um, I, I don't know if it can be, you know, if it's something that can be in the button. I was thinking back, you know, ThinkPads and, and some other PC notebooks have fring- fingerprint readers that are much more like this than what we have with touch ID where it's really just um, kind of a little, a little dash on the, on the palm rest and you kind of put your finger on it and, and it reads it. Or sometimes you kind of roll your finger across it and it, and it does it. So there may be some like technique difference with this where, you know, you got to roll your finger. I, I don't really know, but it's, it's definitely, I think there's more to this than just making a bigger power button. Cause remember this phone is going to potentially be physically smaller than the plus and the plus has the same power button as the, the non plus phone. And people have gotten used to that over three years. So why make that change now? Um, especially in a world where the, the volume buttons are right across from the power button, you're putting a bigger target there. You can accidentally hit like something about it. There's gotta be a reason for it besides we just wanted the, the power button to be bigger. I think. Yeah, and the shape, if you look at the the, the molds, whatever, um, it's really somewhere in between the, the iPhone 7 and the 7 Plus. And I'm really curious to see how this will feel in practice. Mm-hmm. Because I, I if you remember last year for almost a month, I used an iPhone 7 before being able to, bl- to buy a, a Plus. And I liked it, but ultimately it was just too small. And... When I upgraded again to the Plus, it just felt so much better and so much more comfortable for me. So I wonder how it'll feel going back to a smaller phone, even if it has a bigger display than the iPhone 7. I think it's going to be really weird. I don't know if it's been good or bad. I just know it's going to be weird because it looks smaller than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. And if you look at the picture, it's really not even a centimeter more than a seven, yeah. Uh, judging from this leak on Twitter, so it's definitely smaller than the seven plus, but it's only noticeably bigger than the seven. It makes so, the seven plus look like an iPad. It's it, almost. It's, it's always funny. <laughs> like this is a thing. Many, I guess, many uh, plus club people will understand this. Plus phones always look bigger in other people's hands. Yeah. When mm-hmm. I see other people using them, it's like it looks like a dinner tray. But when I'm using it, it's fine. It's very strange. It's a very strange feeling. Mm-hmm. 
You know, we have a uh, NSC in the house. My wife uses it and really likes it. In fact, it's not in the show notes, but there was, I think just this morning, an article about like the iPhone SE has the highest customer satisfaction rating according to some new survey than any other smartphone, which is incredible. But you're absolutely right. The Plus is humongous when you see it relative to anything else. But like if you're just, you know, by yourself all day with your phone, it, it you get you get used to it. But uh, yeah, these renderings, I mean, or slabs, whatever they are, mm-hmm. uh, very much like this is a, a seven size phone, not not uh, a plus monstrosity. So we have some real time follow up from uh, good friend Benjamin Mayo. He's, uh, he works at nine to five Mac and he sent me a link to a Sony phone that has a fingerprint scanner in the power button. Uh, there's going to be a link in the show notes to the video. There's a hands-on video, and it's the Sony Xperia uh, Z5 uh, from a couple of years ago, and it shows how uh, there's indeed a fingerprint scanner and a fingerprint setup going on in the software. Uh, so you just place the finger multiple times, and it recognizes your fingerprint. So seems to be definitely possible. I w- was not aware that there were already phones on the market with this kind of uh, scanner in the in the button on the side. So there you go. Maybe maybe Mike is somewhere in the ballpark again. I won't say it, Mike. You can't um, say it yet. You can't say it yet. I cannot say yet, so I'm just circling around it. But maybe maybe it is possible. All right. I'll put that link in that in the show notes. It's a YouTube video so you can go watch it. But yeah, it's just basically the idea is that you know now that it is it's at least possible, right? Again, it's like maybe it's not as reliable, like we don't know, but like technically you can make a fingerprint possible. scanner in a in a in a in a configuration like this. So yeah, so there you go. But this isn't all. Uh, this same person, um, Benjamin Gaskin, tweeted some stuff around the the ten point five inch iPad, which is changing the story a little bit about what this device is going to be. So there's a couple of uh, there's a couple of tweets. There is that I'm putting in the show notes. There are some renders of this and there's some additional information some some measurements so you can you can see what those look like right so i'll put it in the show notes but basically the idea being 10.5 inch ipad pro as we know right um this is the model that the case manufacturers are apparently getting these details as well because there's been some some leaks of some cases and stuff over the last couple of days the home button exists there are still bezels on this device but they're thinner but the actual iPad itself will be a little bit larger, like physically larger. So they've, they haven't they have gotten rid of the bezels. The bezels are slimmer, but they're still there. So with a 10.5-inch screen, it's making the device a bit bigger. And this is very different to uh, what has been expected, right, from this device. Yes, yeah. we, we were expecting, I think, the edge-to-edge display with no home button and like a radical new design. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least I think the last time we discussed the rumors, that was, you know, what people were speculating about. Instead, I mean, this is nice, um, but it's not bezel-less. Uh, the bezels are thinner, and it's slightly, very slightly taller, but it looks like an iPad. I mean, it, you know, it, it's not this, oh my God, am I holding a piece of glass or a tablet? Uh, it looks like an iPad. There's a home button. Uh, there's three microphones at the top, which is interesting, I guess. And maybe the SIM card slot will be in the bottom right corner of the iPad, but it 
doesn't look like, you know, uh, visually it's consistent. It's thinner, but it's consistent with the with the current design. So I think that this uh, this lends additional credence to the idea of this device debuting before September. Mm. Because, yeah. you know, there was always the question of, like, if they are going to debut the bezel-less design, is it going to come in the iPad over before the iPhone? Right? Like, that was always yeah. a, com- a confusion point. And, and again, I can see how somebody would hear information about this device and say what has been said, right? Edge to edge. Uh, yeah. Right? Like, 10.5 inch. Like, I can see how you would get to that point. But for me, personally, like, all right, I don't care. Right? Like, I... For me, this was more, this has always been about a larger screen and what that could potentially facilitate, which is to put oh, yeah. everything software wise that's in a 12.9 into a more manageable in size iPad. And if that's what this is, that's all I want. And mm-hmm. what this also does is, conti- you know, especially with it being physically larger. It more easily differentiates this iPad from the three hundred and twenty nine dollar iPad, right? Like mm-hmm. you will see True. these three yeah. in a lineup, and they will be different sizes now. And then you can be yeah. like, "Oh, that's the bigger one." Yeah, and when they're side by side, the bezels really uh, you can see the difference between the the old one and the new one, even mm-hmm. if it's not so much bigger. But when you compare them side by side, I imagine on the Apple website you could tell the difference. Yeah. But, like, this is physically bigger than the iPad as well that it's replacing, right? Like, it's not just yeah. that the screen is bigger. Like, the dimensions are larger. Um, so I think that this makes sense for, for how they will have the product lineup, especially when we talk about what we're about to talk about in a moment regarding the iPad mini. Um, I'm more, I think, yep, this is it. Like, I'm looking at this and I'm like, the iPhone, I'm like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. But, like, everything I'm seeing with the iPad Pro here, I'm like, yeah, this makes so much sense yeah. considering everything we have heard um, and then everything that we think is going to happen, uh, mm-hmm. I think that this makes a lot of sense, and this is probably what we're going to get um, maybe in a couple of weeks' time, which I am very excited about because I want it so bad. The thing that made me, I don't want to say realize, but that put me like, hmm, maybe an iPad is happening at WWDC, it was the beta of iOS uh, 10.3.3, which added three new wallpapers. And the thing with the wallpapers may seem oh. minor, but why would you add during the iOS, in, in such a minor release, re- uh, posted on the developer website just a w- couple of weeks before WWDC? That's some good sleuth work there, Federico. Three new wallpapers. You know, I'm just saying new wallpaper, new iPad. It makes for, you know, a nice announcement. It looks different, quote unquote, different in the promo material. I mean, it already looks different because the design, you know, is new. Um, but there's a new wallpaper. There's a new beta just a couple of weeks before the and event. These, <laughs> so looking at 9to5Mac, these wallpapers are for the 12.9-inch iPad Pro. Mm. So the, yeah, so. this is new iPads, right? Like this, that's what this is for. And if it's for the 12.9-inch, well, then it fits both, right? So now, like I'm thinking, like we've, we've questioned, oh, what are they going to do about the 129 but what they're going to do about 12.9 is not a lot, right? Like they'll update the internals of it now because the design is not going to be drastically different. So it doesn't need to change. They can keep the design as it is, update the internals, maybe put a true tone display mm-hmm. in it and ship both yep. of these. And yes. they only need to put the wallpapers in this one because it's going to be the same screen resolution for both devices, right? 
That's the idea. This is some super sleuthing. That brings me to my problem, which is, do I want the 10.5, if it looks like this, and if it's, if it's got the same specs of the 12.9, or do I want a possible new 12.9-inch iPad Pro? So do I want to stay on the current size that I have, or do I want this other iPad? Because I think the, the, the doubt that I have in my mind that I shared a few months ago is even if it's bigger, I don't think the software will be as comfortable as the big iPad Pro. So I guess it comes down to seeing whatever they announce, maybe WWC. It seems very likely to me at this point, honestly. And, you know, I just want to try it and see how, especially how Split View and using the software keyboard in Split View compares to the big iPad Pro. I'm really curious to see. I mean, look, if our assumption at this point, which I, I think we're all holding on to and will refuse to let go, is that WWDC brings a lot of iPad-focused iOS features, it really makes sense for them to say we have new devices. It's like, oh, we're putting all this work into it, but like, there's, mm-hmm. we're still not going to release any new iPads. <laughs> right? And I know that it won't be yeah. for now, but it is like how they brought a bunch of people into, the, into a room and told them that they care about the Mac. It's a similar kind of sign right and like we we have these new devices you can buy them now and you can take advantage of everything your iPad has and then in a few months time they're going to run this great new software and we promise we care about them yeah and you could be like and of course the new iPad will support the great features of iOS 11 mm-hmm. whatever but in the meantime it'll ship with iOS 10.3.3 and you know you get new wallpapers <laughs> you know i could see that happening honestly yeah, and they say oh and there's a public beta coming in a month yes there's a public beta and you can try it then you know if you can't wait when federico will already be exhausted yeah that 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 will definitely make it in uh one more piece of ipad news uh boy genius report or bgr are they still boy genius report or are they just bgr now burger <laughs> I think in spirit, they are still boy genius. Okay, but they're burger mm-hmm. now. They're just burger, right? Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> it. I think that's how you say it. Uh, they're reporting that the iPad mini will be no more. They have a source that states the reason is being fierce cannibalism of our own products and that the iPad mini has been sized out of its own category. Apparently, as well, the sales numbers are telling the story. Are we sad about the iPad mini going away? Uh, I don't know. Are we? There's someone in my house really is, like, badly, like, to the point where I've had to do some, some, uh, you know, you know, like, you know, when you have somebody in your life who, who just wants to trash Apple, right? That's their thing, you know? Like, they like to just say how bad the company is, right? Where are you going with this? (laughs) And you, as a fan of the company, feel like you have to stand up for Apple. Right? I get it. Yes, you know, yes. right? Like yeah. you need to fly your team flag. I've been having to do that uh, over the last few days. Um, Adina loves her iPad Mini Two, which was my old iPad Mini. She loves that device so much, and the idea of an I- the iPad Mini going away has been met with fierce criticism in my household. She is very angry about this idea. Um, I have tried to say to her why all of the benefits of going to the bigger iPads but she's not excited about any of them she likes this she is a very small person and so all of the things that she owns like bags and stuff like that are also small so she likes the smallest iPad that she can possibly have to put into uh, her bag and just to have in her life so I mean we've been looking at the current gen iPad mini and we're not gonna we're not gonna spend the money 
on a one was it 128 gigabyte it's like 400 dollars or something yeah, it's crazy we're not gonna buy that there's any of the refurbs they are like going so fast right now it's barely impossible to buy them but even then they're not great deals so i think she's going to be out of luck and she's kind of now going through the acceptance stage of understanding that if she if and when her ipad mini dies because she won't let go of it um she's going to have to go up to a larger size but that kind of brings me around to say like who is the ipad mini for other than adina like who who is buying this we expect well you know we had that question last week from a listener about old ipod touches and you know do you do that again or do you get an ipad mini or do you do i think you know the the cheap 9.7 inch ipad and i think the ipad mini is kind of the same question right of there there are definitely people like adina who like the small size because it's compact they can take it with them uh, my dad is one of those people. He has an iPad mini two, maybe a three now. I think he upgraded to the three and he likes it cause he can take it to work and you know, it's small and, and light and convenient to have, but there's definitely that use case. Like the listener question last week that people have them for kids. We have an iPad mini two in this like ridiculous, you know, uh, military style case. So they don't, they don't destroy it. Uh, iPad Mini 2 for the kids, and they do homework and stuff on it, and it's um, there's a real use case for it there, but I don't know if that's enough for Apple to keep making them. And I mean, I, I think the writing's on the wall, right? The the quote from the BGR report makes a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. That is in line with what Apple Apple likes to do, like um. You know, uh, I think it was when the iPhone came out and someone asked Apple, is, like, is it going to cannibalize the iPod? And they said, well, if one of our products is going to be cannibalized, we want it to be by one of our other products. Right? We want to do that to ourselves, to our own lines of, of devices. And I think it's clear it's happening to the iPad mini. Uh, I just, I mean, they could do the iPod touch thing, right? They could have it on a long refresh cycle. That's where it's been really that iPad mini four has been around for a long time now. Um, the thing that the thing that's kind of gets me is like like you said, Mike. The only skew is expensive, and it's 128 gigs. They don't have a cheap iPad Mini. The cheap iPad now is that 9.7 inch, and I think that answers the question as to what the future is. Uh, I think it's even though there are people who want it, and as a parent, you know, I like that it's small. My kids can use it and they can handle it and everything. But uh, it def- definitely seems like it's just. Uh, Time's ticking away, you know? Yeah. But I think, you know, they're not going to keep making a product unless people are buying it. If people are buying it, they're going to keep making it. I'm assuming the sales went down before they reduced the SKUs. Um, and, you know, they're, they're, what's the point in making... I mean, we've had this, right, in the last year or so with the other markets that Apple maybe have gotten out of, right? Like, potentially the display, but we're not sure about that anymore. But, like, routers and stuff like that, right? Like, markets that Apple may be moving away from. Um, and I guess it makes sense that if people aren't buying the iPad Mini, why keep making and selling the iPad Mini? Mm-hmm. And because most people's needs can be fulfilled by one of their other devices, right? I think that's the thinking. Sure. And there's some chicken and egg there a little bit too, right? The iPad Mini doesn't sell well. You make only one SKU for selling. It's expensive and and you know large capacity. It's going to sell even worse. Yeah, but my assumption is the decision was made before they did this. Sure, right? This yeah. is winding down of the inventory. I think so. 
I think that's I think that's what it is, and I, I don't think we're ever going to see an iPad Mini Five. Rest in peace, little friend. You were good to us mm-hmm. for so long. We were so impressed with you. You were amazing. There was that. T- remember that time? Remember that time when you were as powerful as the big iPad, just the smallest screen? Those were the days. Mm. Everybody say goodbye to the iPad Mini. Today's show is brought to you by Blue Apron, the number one recipe delivery service that has the freshest ingredients. For less than $10 a meal, Blue Apron will deliver to you seasonal recipes with fresh, high-quality ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. Blue Apron set high standards for the ingredients that they source. They build a community of home chefs with their fantastic meals. They all include recipe cards with step-by-step instructions, pre-portioned ingredients as well, so you'll be able to just have exactly what you need, no waste, and you'll be able to prepare all of these meals in 40 minutes or less. When you start with Blue Apron, when you start getting your meals with Blue Apron, you're going to start to learn to cook new things. Maybe stuff you've never cooked before. Maybe ingredients that you're not very familiar with. But what's great about all this stuff is it can not only expand your skill set, but can also open your mind to new dishes that you maybe never would have thought about cooking for yourself. And that's what makes Blue Apron so exciting. You can choose from a variety of new recipes every week or even let their culinary team surprise you and sort it all out for you. And you can set all of your dietary preferences. No recipes are repeated within a year, so you're going to get tons of variety. And right now you'll be able able to cook meals like crispy salmon and roasted potato salad with pickled mustard seeds and creme fraiche sauce, beef teriyaki stir fry with sugar snack peas and lime rice, or maybe even baked spinach and egg flatbread with sautéed asparagus and lemon aioli. Blue Apron delivers to 99% of the continental US. There's no weekly commitment, and their freshness guarantee means that every ingredient arrives ready to cook or they'll make it right. You will get those deliveries when you want them and only when you want them, which is awesome. Check out this week's menu and get three meals for free with your first purchase including free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash connected. That is three meals for free with your first purchase. You're going to love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So go to blueapron.com slash connected today, and we thank them for their support of this show. And Relay FM, Blue Apron, a better way to cook. So we had a listener question from Jeff Fowler on Twitter uh, a couple weeks ago, um, but I think it's super interesting. Uh, So Jeff writes, Instead of listing the services you subscribe to, you know, we've we talked about that in the past, right? Different cloud services the three of us use for various things. Uh, list those that Relay pays for and why. So what we're going to do now is kind of go through some of the services and apps that we use in our in our respective businesses. So Relay FM, uh, owned by Mike and I, and then Hello. Mac Stories. So what we're doing at Relay, I'll start with the business end and then work towards, I guess, the creative end. We use FreshBooks for all of our invoicing. FreshBooks is a sponsor. We um, have worked with them for a long time, but we paid for their service. We continue to pay for their service. Uh, We signed up for them long before they were an advertiser on the network. We use Trello uh, and Pipedrive for some sales management stuff. We're kind of phasing Trello out and moving to Pipedrive, which is a, how do you describe it, Mike? Like a sales cycle management tool? Yeah. Super businessy. Yeah, it's like a contact database right so it keeps all of the people that we work with in the companies and then we can also manage deals so as a, a sponsor signing on or we're dealing with paperwork we're able to manage those deals right like in it's it's very businessy but we would we were kind of looking at the screenshots and it's very enterprisey yep this mm-hmm. thing it's nice though the thing is we kind of need a lot of that now uh at the, uh, yeah. the size that we're operating at and we were using Trello, and we were starting to 
we kind of baked this into Trello ourselves. Like it turned out that like, oh, funnily enough, th- these products, this is how they look. But we didn't, I don't think we knew that when we started using Trello for this. And it got to the point where it was like, okay, uh, nobody but Mike knows the names of the people that we're working with <laughs> or their email yeah. addresses. So we need that all to be in one place. So we started looking at that. And then we realized that, oh, we can just move all of this stuff from Trello into Pipedrive. We have it all in one place. And it's got a bunch of integrations as these things should these days. So now we use this service called Pipedrive. And yeah, it is super enterprisey and it's super businessy and it has tons of buzzwords. Uh, mm. But it also is it's really powerful and the iOS apps are pretty good. And yeah. There is a sales pipeline academy that yep. you can I am a, take. Uh, I've been to the academy. I, I got my diploma. <laughs> it's hanging on my wall. So there we go. Nice. It looks okay. nice though. Yeah, yep. I don't recommend this to like 99.5% of the people that are listening because you're just not going to need it. But if you hear this and you're like, ooh, I need that, then you should get it because it's really good. That integrates with Slack, uh, just like Trello did. Slack is like headquarters for RelayFM. All of our hosts are in there. We have a paid account, so we get all the bunch of paid goodies. And um, it's really like the office, like like Slack is work. Um we use Google Suite for our email and calendar stuff. I think you'll find it's G Suite. Uh, G Suite. What know, did I say? Google, Google Suite. Google Suite. Yeah, yeah, you gave it. You gave it a good name. The naming oh, is terrible. So bad. G Suite. G Suite, uh, formerly known as Google Apps. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's great. Works just like Gmail. Uh, the website is is hosted at Heroku. Our, our website is a custom CMS. We do use Squarespace, also a sponsor for our blog and merchandise store, but uh, Heroku hosts the website and our custom CMS. Uh, the MP3 files um, are at Lipson, and we use uh, Linode, which is another sponsor to host our... So we have an ad tracking software. It's Linode. I'm, I'm happy Linode. to report that it's actually Linode. Uh, I found this mm. out after they started sponsoring, and everyone was calling it Linode, and we had to change that. So it's Linode. Linode. Mm-hmm. Linode. Uh, See so what else? So they they host some stuff, um, and then we use Memberful and Campaign Monitor for our membership program. Uh, Memberful is what I also use at Five Pixels. Is what uh, Federico uses at Mac Stories. It's super great if you need a membership. It kind of does everything out of the box you would need. And then we use Dropbox to move files around. Uh, we have a. Mac Mini at Mac Stadium in Las Vegas, and the Dropbox. There's a Dropbox Pro account that's signed in on that Mac Mini, and it syncs everything as a backup. Um, that machine gets backed up by Backblaze, and then we also have the Adobe Creative Suite, which we really don't need for work except for Audition, which uh, Mike and I both edit in Logic. Um, I think he's happier there than I am, but. We, uh, we use Audition for a lot of noise cancellation and equalization stuff. It's better than what Logic does. And so I, at least when I'm editing, I do pre-flight stuff in Audition. And um, if I have time, I'm slowly learning to edit in Audition. That's a complicated task to learn. But at the very least, I'll kind of take care of some tracks and clean them up and then assemble in Logic. So uh, you pay for Adobe Creative Suite and you get Audition as one of the apps. And um so yeah, a lot of moving parts here, a lot of cloud services. I didn't really realize how many things we were using until I wrote them down, but I feel like everything is on that list for a reason, and I think that uh, we are, are working slowly to simplify, like moving away from Trello into something more specialized, and 
for us, anytime we look at a service, uh, we feel like we need to be able to trust the company. They're not going to go out of business, right? That we we are investing in something that's going to be stable and be around. We want something that has good iOS support. So that was a huge deal with PipeDrive um, uh, that, you know, sales management and a CRM would have a really good iPhone and iPad app and PipeDrive does that. Um, and then we want something that we can, I guess, is flexible enough to deal with the fact that Mike and I are sort of across the world from each other. So something that um, is, you know, we can kind of put data in and hand off to somebody else. It's kind of fuzzy to talk about, but uh, some of these services are really designed for like one person to sit down and do something. And we want everything we do to be collaborative to to a degree. So yeah, because we're a growing company now. Like it's not, again, like, we are. You know, people that listen to other shows notice it's not just me and Steven anymore. We have someone to help us. So we need to be able to provide that sort of stuff as well. I should say like G Suite is huge. Like the, all the Google Docs and Sheets and all that stuff, like mm-hmm. that's all tied up inside of that. Like we use that for so much stuff collaboratively. Yes. And we should say that uh, our assistant who's helping us found PipeDrive. <laughs> it was one of yep. their first tasks. Like that's we need a tool that one. does this and mm-hmm. they went and found it and it was awesome. So and Max, sorry, Sam. I mean, besides coffee, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, Puppies. Puppies. Uh, we we use a lot of services as well. And some of these are for my personal usage and others are more uh, like collaborative services where, where we have multiple users. But I still feel like both individual and team-based software is still part of work stuff that I pay for or that we use. Um, so the main glue between everything, I would say, is Zapier. And we use that for both my personal workflows and other stuff that the team can also enjoy. And it connects all of these little pieces that we need. For example, uh, we use Zapier when a new issue of the Club Maxoris newsletter goes out. Zapier, for example, can tweet with the Club Maxoris account that a new issue has been sent, and it also posts on Slack a message. And that message contains a link to run a workflow and archive the uh, the issue as a PDF. So anyone on the Mac Stories and the Club Mac Stories channel can archive a PDF of the newsletter uh, if they want to have a hard copy for the future. And it also, you know, Zapier does a bunch of stuff uh, for me and for others. Um, for example, it, it puts uh, tasks in my to- to-do list, which is Todoist, uh, to, you know, publish articles on Mac stories and we have the you know it it does a lot that is hard to describe because it's very custom to us but in terms of automation it is essential so as I, as I said Todoist is the uh, task manager that I use and that we also use as a team we have a bunch of uh, collaborative projects um, where you know uh, we create those uh, for both for the whole year and also for specific projects that are time sensitive Um and Slack, uh, we have a paid Slack account uh, because we want all of the integrations and some of the premium features that Slack offers. And we take advantage of the integrations between Slack and Todoist to do stuff like when we're talking to each other, we can easily create a task uh, just by using the slash command. And of course, Slack has a bunch of other features like it can import links and preview them. It can preview Google Docs stuff. So it's super nice. But Truly, the the big change that we're making to the way that we work is the story bot. I I talked about the story bot uh, I think a few months ago 
And at that time, we only had one feature, which was the, the ability to create and complete uh, article assignment requests. So it is a way for me, uh, both from Slack and from Workflow, because Storybot is an API, it is a way for me to say, I found these news on the web and I want you guys to write about it on Mac Stories. Uh, over the past couple of months, we we have announced this feature with the ability to self-assign a story. So someone can say, well, I'm working on this. Uh, it's assigned to myself. Uh, you guys should not touch this because I'm handling this. Uh, so there's now the ability to self-assign. But we also rolled out another feature and we're almost uh, completing the third feature of Storybot. So the second one is called the Emoji Reactions. Uh, and those are really the, the same emoji reactions of Slack, but with a twist. Uh, so in every channel where Storybot is present, uh, we can assign an emoji reaction to a specific Todoist project and a specific due date. Um, so when we're talking to each other, uh, we can react with an emoji and that Slack message will become a task in a specific project with a preset due date. So for example, my Dart emoji on Slack is assigned to the Max Stories project uh, with a due date in one hour. So when I'm talking to someone about a Max Stories task, I can just react with the Dart and it'll go straight to my Todoist thanks to the Storybot. <laughs> I like a dart. A dart is good for that. I think I like. That. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And I have I think I like a... used the screaming guy if you need an article done in an hour. But that's just, <laughs> yeah. that's just me. Um, and the third feature that we're uh, almost completing. Uh, this is a great one. Uh, we have made Storybot uh, integrate with Google Drive, and there's going to be two features initially. Which is the first feature is Storybot will be able to list our Google Docs and it'll be able to extract from any Google document every URL in the document and offer you a list of every link that you have in a Google Doc. And that list can be a plain text list of links or a markdown list. Uh, and that is going to be super convenient for us to put together the show notes for App Stories. Because instead of doing a bunch of copy and paste, we can just run a command in Slack or via Workflow to return a list of links in like two seconds from a Google Doc. And this was super difficult to put together because Google has some crazy authentication stuff going on. Uh, but thankfully, we were able to roll out uh, this custom solution. And the second feature also for Google Docs will be an append uh, functionalities. Uh, so from Workflow on iOS, if you want to append you know, a link or some text to an existing Google Doc, uh, Storybot will be able to do that. So that's going to be useful. Mm. And then uh, I have a list of services that are mostly match what you guys use for Relay. There's Memberful for Club Mac Stories, Libsyn for App Stories, um, G Suite, of course, uh, Dropbox. Uh, we use GitHub to share um, Markdown articles you know, together and check out each other's typos. Trello, we're still big on Trello. Well, I should say uh, we know. use GitHub too for, for oh, yeah? web nice. CMS development. Um, yep. It's always funny when we're going through this whole programmer debate thing uh, that people were finding that I have a GitHub account and that's why. It's like to post issues, right? I believe that's what it's called, mm. issues. That's I good. post a lot of issues. Hey, I found this broken. Please fix it. <laughs> Most of the time, honestly, I just text them to Stephen and let him post that them. That is mostly what happens. Yeah. I assign them as if they come from you, though. It's good. That's good. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we're still big on Trello, uh, um, Toggle. I use it both personally for time tracking and also with Ryan um, to sort of keep an eye on what he's working on and sort of the, uh, you know how much time he logs every week. And we're, I'm using personally Numbers and iCloud for spreadsheets uh, for my accounting, but um, the in terms of invoicing uh, and sending invoices to sponsors and stuff like that, uh, John uses Invoicely, which is a nice-looking uh, service mm-hmm. uh, that works for both euros and dollars, which was necessary for me. It integrates with Stripe, so it's got all these little touches that I needed. Um, and finally, uh, I need to mention uh, uh, I pay for Rackspace, or the CDN, uh, and Kraken, which is uh, Kraken.io. It is an image optimization service. I've been using these two for years. And in fact, we also have a custom web app that uh, you know provides uh, image uploads for the Mac Stories team uh, with Rackspace and image optimization built in. It's callable via workflow, of course. Naturally. Uh, so, yeah. This is all. It's a bunch of different services, but uh, you know they work really well, and it's worth it. So for five twelve pixels, I mean it's obviously a much shorter list. Um, I use FreshBooks for invoicing. I uh, also do some consulting. I don't really ever talk about that, but that's all run through a FreshBooks account. I use G Suite uh, for my email and docs and calendars and everything. Uh, memberful now for the membership, uh, and the site itself is hosted at WP Engine. It is a WordPress host where they sort of bake in and take care of a lot of stuff for you. So it is more expensive than like a bare bones WordPress install, but you get caching and everything out of the box. You don't have to do that yourself, and you can do backups and you can do um, you can fork the site and have a development site. Lots of tools that you can do on your own, but I kind of wanted just one solution to do it all. And in my past job at a development design agency, we used WP Engine for some client projects and I was really impressed. And so the site lives there. And um, I think that's about it. It's a pretty straightforward, you know, GitHub for the theme and for the code and stuff, but it's a, it's a pretty straightforward little operation. So basically all of my business, probably like actually a hundred percent of the, my business is Relay FM stuff. So like all the things that Steven mentioned, it's basically all I do business-wise, but I do have like a small handful um, of things that I pay for with my own mythical company that exists, uh, which is Zapier. I use Zapier for a bunch of stuff. I spoke about that in the past. Uh, Todoist for all, all of my tracking of tasks and Toggle as well for my time tracking. I love Toggle. Toggle's so good. And uh, I use that with our assistant as well so we can manage their hours. So it's it's become a really good service for me recently, so uh, I, I'm very happy about that, and and I continue to evangelize Toggle to anybody that's thinking about time tracking. I think it can it can help you learn a lot about yourself, um, even if you don't necessarily use the billing stuff. Just it has helped me make some real good realizations about the way that I work. Um, even though time tracking, I have learned um, absolutely bores pe- people to the uh, point of complete distraction. And they will hate you if you keep talking about it. So I'm going to stop talking about it right now, but I'm going to try it anyway. So that's a lot of services. Um, so if you uh, if you started this week's show and wondered why there were uh, 37 links in our show notes, that's why. If you want to find those show notes, you can go to relay.fm slash connected slash 143. 
Um, we are just a couple of weeks away now from WWDC. So we're all going to be there together. Next week, we'll probably do our kind of final thoughts and maybe some predictions uh, running into to the event. We're yeah. going to be doing the draft on to. Upgrade next week. Yeah. So that's going to be fun. Next week's the last week before WWDC. Yeah. only one more episode. And me and Stephen realized when we were talking yesterday that we'll be recording the first ever full live three of us in person live, not with an audience, but the three of us in person episode of Connected. Because last year... It wasn't, right? Like, we did the whole RelayCon thing. So this will be mm. just the three of us sitting down with a table and just talking. Mm. So that's going to be nice. Mm. So you can look out for be that great. in a couple of weeks' time. But yeah, join us next week, and we'll be talking uh, about our final thoughts on WWDC leading up to it and talking about some predictions and, and uh, doing all the like. So you can find us online. Uh, Stephen is over at 512pixels.net. Go there and check out his new membership newsletter. He is at ISMH on Twitter. Federico is at MacStories.net. He hosts a couple of shows on Relay FM and also App Stories as well. Uh, and he is at Fetici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I on Twitter. And I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Thank you to Encapsula and Blue Apron for helping support this week's episode. Also, go to our show notes and you'll be able to find out uh, information about coming to, to see us and meet with us and see some cool music and support a great cause if you're at WWDC for the App Camp for Girls benefit. So please go and uh, take a look and sign up for some tickets. Uh, we're going to be in London in like a week and a bit, me and Federico. So if you got a ticket for the London meetup, we look forward to seeing you. All right, then. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. We'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, guys. Arrivederci. Adios.